Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Billy Howell to talk all about his latest movie, Infinite Storm. And the first thing I was really fascinated by was, was what your character development process looks like for this project, because you're you're performing in a role that instead of being very dialogue driven and having a very verbose character, it's very much about physical effects on him, you know, the physical movement of the role, the underlying emotion of a lot of things, which aren't necessarily kind of said out loud, but you're still playing to. And so how did that, that shift and shape your character development process? Was it very similar to the way that you tend to approach other characters or was there any differences for you because of that? Yeah, it's a really interesting question to kick us right off the bat. I love it. Um, yeah, so it, you know, the first thing to mention really was um, the the time scale uh, involved. It all happened really rapidly, and you know, sometimes that happens. And I think we we were looking to make this film uh, a point where everything had kind of just completely frozen, for want of a better phrase. Um, and so we were very very fortunate in that we got the go ahead to go to Slovenia and do the same. But what it meant was that everything snowballed. I keep using these, <laughs> keep using these things that are snow-related. Uh, that, that, it, that it snowballed quite quickly. And so suddenly I was, um, you know, in Slovenia and we were about to make this thing on the side of the mountain. And I, I don't have like a fixed process um, as an actor. I mean, I have things that... Um, you know, certain things that I will do kind of religiously in terms of breaking down script and the beginnings of characterization often look quite similar from project to project. And there's quite a lot of crossover in that regard. But um, I, I also like to feel my way into um, what a character is and how, um, how, you know, how I figure out who they are um, can really be wildly different from mm -hmm. project to project. And so, it, you know, in this interesting, this one, I, I sort of knew instinctively this isn't going to be, you know, hugely cerebral. The, the story itself is is so physical. Um, you know, it's about these two people that really are put through their paces in terms of uh, endurance, in terms of um, survival, because that, that is essentially what it is. And um, so, but, but the other thing to mention is that I, outside of what was in the script and the, the article and the conversations and research that Josh, the writer, uh, had done in, in, in put, piecing this script together, um, you know, I, I didn't have any other material, but I knew that John was a was a real person, mm -hmm. right? So, um, it, yeah, it, it was kind of interesting. It, it could quite easily because of the nature of, of what happens to John, uh, actually what happens to both of them, it could quite easily slip into something that we def definitely didn't want it to. But it's kind of absurd. You know, these things keep going wrong. And just when they think that, you know, they're in, in the clear and they're kind of right near the, the you know, the end of their journey together, um, something else happens. And so that's kind of, for me, is it was interesting. And I kind of, I highlighted this when I was speaking to Malgo and Naomi about it. I was like, it, it's it's very similar. It's reminiscent of how um, how comedy works. You know, you repeat something, uh, and and you know the, the you put more emphasis on it the next time, and you draw some someone's attention to it even more so. And and I thought that was really interesting to to play around with because we weren't, you know, straight off the bat we weren't answering the question well why is john up there right we don't want to reveal a hand too soon 
Um, and we were sort of, you know, if I'm in all honesty, we were sort of still figuring those things out too. Um, I, you know, I had a pretty good idea as to how John had found himself in that situation. Um, and again, you know, me, the actor, and as the human being, I was sort of aware that John is out there somewhere. And the likelihood is that, you know, if he hears about this film being made, he, he might go and see this, you know. And because I didn't have the luxury of being able to speak to John, and I totally understand that, and I, and I, I do understand why, you know, anonymity is, is, is important. <laughs> uh, I mean, more than most, I would say. But it's like, um, I, I, I wanted to... I wanted to be careful, you know, because I didn't want to at all sort of, you know, trivialize or or um, make a mockery of what happened to John. But what I did want to do was highlight actually how absurd it is to find two human beings on the side of a mountain and sort of how um, potentially humorous it could be if you were to find yourself in those situations. Uh, in that in a similar a similar situation, that someone would put their own life at risk in order to help you and save yours. Like, what what is it about you know a person that drives someone to, to want to do that, and, and not only that, but persist in that pursuit? You know, so much so, so fervently as Pam Bales does. You know, I, I was kind of fascinated by that. Um, and then, you know, why is John so resistant? You know, to the point of this sort of juvenile petulance. Um, so those were really fun things to play with. I don't know if that answers your question, but those were the things that were going through my head in terms of creating John as a character. And, and the fact that I didn't have so much to say um, straight away meant that, um, um, you know, I, I was using, you know, my physicality much more so, you know, to try to tell the story. It's a tough, it's a tough ask, you know, <laughs> to be honest. And, and and given that we had a sort of time constraint on top of that, you know, it was a, it was a lot to try a piece together. But you know, hopefully, hopefully, I've done something worth worthwhile with it. I don't know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And with the physicality of the role as well, when you did on Chesil Beach, you were working with Imogen Knight, who was a movement um, mm. coordinator. And are there are there kind of like tools that working with someone like her really gave you that you were able to bring forth into a role like this, even though obviously the physical elements of those two characters are so disparately different, but just in terms of the way it makes you think about your body and, and the different things that you can do and the way that you can communicate through performance? Yeah, I am... Um... That's, that's, again, a really interesting question. Well, well, I found out what it was. I mean, I've always been a very physical performer. I started off actually doing dance when I was a kid. And so I've, I have a, I've always had a pretty good understanding of what, what my body does and how it sort of behaves. And I have a good connection to my body. And in fact, it's the first thing I notice. Like, if I know I'm not well or that something's wrong, it's all tied up with my intuition. It's tied up with, like... Now, not that I'm a hugely superstitious person or anything like that, but I, I do sense things, right? And and then someone said to me, oh, "Do you know what? Do you know about the vagus nerve?" And I was like, "No, what, what is that?" And there's this whole thing that's to do with sort of connecting to your emotions, and it's to do with the vagus nerve. And some people have like a clear channel, right, where you can just and and the the exercise we did actually this is at drama school was to like sit on your hands and then stare into someone's eyes and think sad things right or think sad thoughts or even try to perceive the sadness in the person opposite you and and this is all to do with your vagus nerve and they and and 
I had this sort of kind of epiphany, really. But this, my whole body sort of changed. I had this sort of visceral reaction to the sadness that I noticed in this person opposite me. And, um, and I was like, yeah, okay, I understand now. I understand how I am actually physically embodying sadness um, in quite a noticeable way. Um, what happens if I amplify that, right? What, what happens if I try to push that out, to emanate that? And, you know, um, and I sort of could, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So there's a scale, there's so, so much that I could do. I could make this bigger, I could make the sadness bigger. And for some reason, I don't know why, it's a kind of recurring thing for me is that, you know, I guess I'd be called a tragedian back in the day. Uh, I'm always sort of doing doing that or finding myself in those positions, right? So uh, for some reason, uh, you know, I, on some level, I understand like loss and, 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 and grief and, you know, extreme sadness or sorrow um, quite well. And... Um, in terms of like physicality, I don't, uh, I don't sort of make a distinction when I feel things. You know, the other thing someone said to me that was interesting is uh, the the part of your brain um, that um, that deals with pain, like physical pain, is the same part that deals with emotional pain. So it's the same like chemist chemical reaction going on, right? That's telling your body that it's in pain. And so that's really interesting. It's, so I guess in the same way there's the symbiosis, right, with voice as well. And the the more that they can continue to 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 synchronize and stay in tune with each other, that we have this triad, right? This mind, body, voice, really. I think there's probably more than that, but mind, body, voice is the main three. Um, you know, if you, they are constantly in communication with each other, feeding off one another. Um, yeah, like the stuff that I would do with Imogen, sometimes it could be a very external thing. Like she'd say to me, um, imagine that you know there's someone not something behind you and the thing that's behind you um m- like means harm right it's 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 that it's, it's not a, a, a benevolent thing whatever it is by me um and then what you're going to do is you're going to move backwards towards it right and she managed to get this like again this wave of energy through my body like did not want to go in that direction and it sort of created this you know, I'm talking about on Chesil Beach now, but this this thing that happened to my body and my shoulders did something interesting. And she's like, yeah, okay, that's really interesting. You know, that's how, you know, when you see an older person, maybe in their 70s or 80s, you know, their shoulders carry. It's not just the kind of the necessity or circumstantial thing that's happened over time. It is all of those things, right? But it's also this emotional thing that causes your body to become something other, become something else. So whether it's like conscious and sort of an external thing working internally, um, which does happen, um, it can sometimes feel arbitrary a bit and a bit um, artificial initially. But, you know, and that, then you start to kind of assimilate those things and they become someone. So, yeah, of course, I had these external factors on the mountain, like the cold. It was just really cold and that changes your physicality. And But then cold does something really interesting to you psychologically and the way in which you talk to the person next to you, you know, you keep your mouth really <laughs> like um, closed, right? Because you just can't, you can't move the muscles in your face quite as much. Um, all, I mean, all of that stuff fascinates, fascinates me. I, I don't know whether I'm answering your question, but it, it feels like a collection of thoughts. But uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs>
Yeah, no, I, I really love all of that detail and all of those thoughts. It's great. And and also want to talk a little bit about the psychological elements of your character as well, because like you mentioned, you know, he's he's gone up this mountain. We're not sure why he's there. Um, and there's a real push and pull between him wanting to be just left alone by Naomi Watts's character and really kind of resisting everything that she's trying to do for him and bringing him back down. And then at the same time, there are moments where he allows her to help and, and there's kind of like a little bit of a shift at a certain point. And so how did you navigate the space of your character to find the moments where he's just fully, fully, fully resistant, the time where he's a little bit more cognizant of if I make this particular action and try to resist that I'm endangering someone else and, and then kind of the moments where it's actually for himself that he, he wants to allow her to, to do things for him as well. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this quite a lot because I think, um, uh, you know, fortunately or not, a lot of the work happens kind of retroactively. So, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, you, you look back at what happened and I try to apply a sort of a, 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 another type of sanity or logic to the events that occurred on the side of this mountain. It's very, it's very difficult to do because the rules don't apply. And I think actually that is, that notion is, is, ever present in this story or the stories are stories of a similar ilk as well in that the same rash rationality the same logic that you and i share here or where, you know where you are right now uh, maybe but um i can't speculate but you know uh, uh, i i imagine that you do um that they don't apply when you're in a situation like this um and there's this When, when you're out on a, you know, you go out on a hike or something, and I remember this from when I was a kid, like my granddad said to me, when you see someone, when you're on, a, on the side of a hill or side of a mountain, and you're out by yourself and they're out by yourself, you make sure you say hello. And he's like, and there's a really good reason for that. You know, you're not saying hello just to be polite. There's this sort of etiquette there that is a nod from one human being to another human being saying if I am in danger and my life is in danger, I know that you are here, that you are somewhere nearby. That if you hear a whistle or you see a flare go off or you hear someone shouting, you know, or you see rocks tumble, you were the last person that saw me. And that's the etiquette. That is the, I mean, it is spoken in this, but it's a kind of an unspoken contract between two human beings. For me, that, that level of communication is so powerful. I think it's something that we don't, I mean, we don't do it really um, in a sort of everyday sense. Or if we do, sometimes it's more meaningful or it's more, some, some people are more cognizant of that going on a lot of the time. When they make eye contact with you, it's for a purpose, it's for a meaning. They're sort of saying to you, look, I recognize you are a human being. I'm, I'm a human being. Um, there's no imminent danger now, but just know that I'm here, right? <laughs> it's, um, I, that That kind of, level of connectivity really excites me and in, in terms of the story you know on paper in terms of the the the, the altruism the selflessness involved on pam bell's part i mean okay she has a badge that says that she's the pemigawasset uh you know search and rescue volunteer so we learn that pretty early on that she volunteers her time you know to do that and in, in terms of what actually has happened in Pam's, you know, history, there is a good reason for that, or so we think, and we could tie those things together. Um, but on, 
on paper, you know, you could argue she has absolutely no reason to put her own life in danger to such an extent when someone, I think someone's dis- described him as recalcitrant. And I, <laughs> I'm like, you know, there's some truth in that. Yeah. I mean, um, we, we, there are there are reasons. I mean, it's very difficult for me to sort of explain it away or to, it, it sounds like I'm trying to excuse that behavior. I, I mean, I would, my rebuttal, if you like, to that would be how, how many of us have actually been in near, true near-death situations such as they are, such as that is, whether we have intended to put ourselves in them or not. And so let's say, you know, hypothetically, and in this case, I think it's fair to say, you know, John has put himself intentionally in harm's way, you know, with a view to ending his life. Um, and that in itself is, you know, it's a whole can of worms. I mean, we would need another two hours to maybe unpick that. And we don't have that luxury. And, and maybe people don't want to watch a survival movie that's, you know, another two hours long. I don't know. And I don't want to be as reductive as that because I think it's so much more than a survival movie. Or if it's a survival movie, it's like all capital letters survival movie because it's 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 about the nature of survival itself. And it's about it's about what it means to be alive in the first place. And it's about it's about choice and um and this kind of ultimate choice that that, that John has and this avenue that he's chosen to go down. So it's a sort of a, end his own, ending his own life and then someone that becomes nothing, very little more than a, a, a sort of symbolic representation of a glimmer of hope, which even, you know, at that point where John is at psychologically, that I think is like sickly sweet. And it's, it's, it's like the last thing that I think he wants to encounter. It's like, you know, the idea of, of angels or savior or, or like hope, it's all like covered in glitter and like it's, it's like, you know, you know, syrupy. That's what it feels like to me. And uh, so it's kind of the last thing he wants. So it's no, it's going to, in a way, it's no surprise. It certainly wasn't to me. And this is what I mean about the sort of wild, different rationality, different logic that applies up there in his state of mind and in his physiological state as well. You know, um, it's no surprise to me at all that he, he turns his nose up at it. And actually his, his immediate is you know, gut reaction is disgust. He's, he's repulsed by the idea of being saved, of going home, of finding comfort, of um, as, of being okay, because nothing is okay, you know, fundamentally. And I think, you know, in the denouement, in like the moment in which we um, get some of John explaining, you know, why he went up there in the first place, it's to find something that, um, you know, he in his, in his rational mind knows not, knows isn't there right you know if you're talking about sort of in terms of you know pure rationality scientific thinking you know he knows that he's not going to find a person that he's loved outside of a mountain and i think you know he, he sits down realizes that passivity is possibly the best way to go because if you just sit still if there is life after death or ghosts exist then uh, you know there's a higher chance that he might find that person again you know and I think that's, that's I mean, it's a big, it's a big thing, and we we had a limited amount of time to try and put that in at the end of the story in a way. But um, hopefully, it was present, you know, 
throughout the rest of the storytelling. And I think hopefully that answers your question in terms of how much of our understanding of (laughs) basic human psychology uh, applies when you're in a position such as Pam and John are in the story. Yeah. Yeah, and, And going back as well to what you were saying about, you know, it's not just a movie about survivalism. There's all these other elements to it. One of those feels like it's very much about the emotional connection between strangers that people can have. And, and for both of these characters, they both come from a place of, of real loss and grief and trauma. And that's part of the connection between the two of them, even though they never share any details about their life whilst they're in this moment, you know, they're not saying any of these things out loud. And yet there's still that kind of like emotional connect in the undercurrent. And so I was really interested in the dynamic of working with Naomi Watts on this film, because it's not about building out a backstory with your characters, you know, figuring out the undercurrent of the words they say to each other, but it's really about, you know, the intrinsic nature of of your performances and the real subtle moments and exchanges between the two of them where these emotions are present, but they're not saying these things out loud to one another or really describing and explaining themselves. Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again, on a sort of, you know, human recognition level, you know, Naomi's incredibly good at that. I mean, there's a whole world you know, in these two globes in in her skull, in her eyes, you know, it's like, there's a whole world in there. There's there's many worlds in there, you know, and there's there's so many possibilities there. there. And she makes that known, you know, Um, I don't mean in a sort of showy off way, but she's there, she's present with you. And she's saying, look, this is, this is my offer. This is what I, this is what I I propose. And, um, and she will meet you halfway and, and is incredibly generous in terms of, how much of a story um, she can tell, you know. And sometimes I'm looking at this like begoggled face and it's like, it's tricky, right? Because <laughs> there's always an obstacle, whatever the obstacle might be, it's, you know, it, and there's a wind machine and it's cold and, you know, you, that's in a way that's acting, right? There's all these sort of real life obstacles and then the obstacles in the story too. And, 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 and then John's reluctance, reticence in, in having that recognition, that acknowledgement, that connectivity, because the, the the chances are it's going to be pretty painful to even go there. So he opens up about as much as I think he's able to at, at, at that time, at that point in time. And it's only the recognition comes as a, it's an off-screen moment when John has driven off and managed to sleep um, for days probably, you know, uh, and lick his wounds um, emotionally as well, probably you know, and 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 this sort of return, you know, in the real in the real world, you know, it was a letter and it came in the form of a uh, a letter written to Pam Bales, and um, you know, in this, you know, that letters do sometimes, you know, <laughs> still feature in um, in films. But what I imagine is that you know the scene actors when there's this, um, it's no longer a MacGuffin. It's like you get a close-up, extreme close-up of an old, you know, antiquated piece of paper that's vignetted, and it has like the explanation as to what's just happened in the last, um, <laughs> however long in the film, and that's kind of I think how it how it operates. But um, the in some ways it was kind of it felt thankless because obviously I guess my instinct as a human being 
all the time is to try to be as connected to the person next to you and not just be a hindrance. And I can imagine, like, in fact, you know, when I watched it, I was like, God, God, that is, you know, the sort of obstinance, the kind of, you know, the stubbornness, and like, just be helped, you know, and I can understand why people would be so frustrated and, and possibly shouting at John saying, you know, Naomi Watts is trying to save you off the side of a mountain, you know, just be helped. And it's like, uh, <laughs> so I, you know, I get it. But I think that's, I think that's also true. I think what's great is that 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 is that in itself is also true. There is this, I mean, I know this for myself. I mean, when we feel sort of frustration at our own, you know, depths of, 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 of sorrow or depression or um, whatever it might be. Some people just, just not say just low mood, but it could be low, low mood or low self-esteem. And, and those are the things I get most infuriated with myself, you know. And so I think it's very, I think it's, I think it's really truthful. And I think it should feel um, frustrating and frustrating to watch. And we should be questioning, you know, uh, how much of a saboteur really is John and, and who is he trying to sabotage? You know, is he trying to take Pam Bales with him? And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know who might speculate, but, you know, I think that's all present in our, in our storytelling. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting aspects of that question is the letter that he sent to her afterwards that you were mentioning, because within that he talks about having a real intention of going up there and, being very aware and cognizant that he didn't want to kind of cause the same outcome for someone else and that that really changed everything for him. And so did just that crux of the letter and knowing that he had a real awareness of Pam and, and what she was trying to do for him, did that kind of create certain choices within him as a character or, or motivations that you wanted to see in him? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when she first manages to get him off the ground and he's in... I mean, completely delirious. Uh, you know, I, I, I would hate for anyone to ever experience, you know, hypothermia, but it's scary stuff. And the level of like delirium that people, you know, their, their, their decision-making ability is completely kaput. That's it. You know, they don't, they don't know what's going on basically. And, um, um, and then to someone, for someone to sort of, you know, derobe you, put new dry clothes on, uh, put you in a bivouac tent, you know, make sure until your body core temperature's warmed up, all of that stuff during a storm, you know, which, by the way, we did for real, basically, in a, you know, it minus 20 temperatures or something crazy. And um, that's all pretty real. So what the way I was feeling after that, you know, there's very little acting uh, going on, I think, <laughs> if I'm completely honest. And... Um, yeah, and, and 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 the sort of, I mean, we talked about, you know, levels of inebriation, and and then the sort of like, you know, the selfishness in uh, choosing to do. And I, yeah, I'm really kind of reluctant, hesitant myself to use that word, but because it's it seems so judgmental, right? But um, to embroil someone else in that. Um, and and to possibly you know put their them in harm's way because you have chosen to do something selfish or not um, you know is is hugely problematic I think for most sort of compassionate people. And what's interesting is that that obstacle in itself actually ends up uh, changing John's objective quite considerably um, because suddenly sabotage becomes flipped on its head and becomes something else. It's like well you know actually 
I now have a joint responsibility with this other human being to try to get both of us off the side of the mountain. Now, what the fuck am I going to do? You know, uh, my, my, not only is my plan scuppered, but I've got to rethink everything. And so it forces him to sort of, and we don't, again, we don't get to see this. And I'm kind of glad we don't. But what's lovely about it is he has gone away and he's had sort of several probably dark nights of the soul and these huge conversations with himself, you know, and something has, um, something has made him put pen to paper in the real world or in, the, in our story, you know, to go and find Pam um, to look for some clarity. And I think probably the most poignant question he has to, to ask her because he recognizes that she, the only thing really that, that, that would make her choose to, to volunteer to do that is to, is that if she understood the fragility of the human condition, and so because she knows that, is witness to that, she knows what that is, and she carries that with her, that makes her do what she does for John. And so he asks her, you know, does it get easier? And um, and she basically says, no. <laughs> it, do- it doesn't, you know, that, that you learn to, um, you learn to manage it. Uh, life carries on, right? And um, sorry, I feel like we've gone off piece a bit that I haven't, there's another one piece um uh, um you know i'm not answering your question anymore but um no i I think it i think it does definitely change things in terms of um how i chose to characterize john yeah yeah no it's it's so insightful and and like you said you could spend a whole two other hours just looking on all of the genesis of the decisions that he makes and and what leads him to certain points throughout the movie. And so it's been really wonderful hearing all about everything that went into creating this performance. So congratulations on the film and thank you so much, Billy. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.